Oh, yeah, he's out. <laughs> Good morning, church. We're going to begin in just about 30 seconds. I apologize, but I able to get around and say hi to you and hug you and tell you I love you. But here we are. Hello, and I love you. I have an addition to my family over here. <laughs> we have grown. Normally we grow as foster kids, but now we have a whole new family. We're so thankful they're here with us this morning. He hands on his new bride and um, mom and dad, Mark and uh, Pam. Let's go to God in prayer, please. Oh, righteous and gracious Heavenly Father, we do love you so very much. And we're so thankful to you for blessing us to be able to meet this morning, to worship you and to study your word. We pray that you'll guide us into all truth, that you'll grant to us wisdom and knowledge and understanding and help us to grow and help us to honor you in all that we say and do. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we do pray and thank you be that will. Amen. All right, Philippians chapter 2. Um, again, we're having to kind of spot this as we go because we only have one week to go. Um, so Philippians 1 carries us over to conduct, right? How are we supposed to maintain our Christian conduct? And then chapter 2, he begins by saying, by living a life that brings glory and honor to God in a non-selfish way, right? So that's going to be kind of the, the whole caption of chapter 1. Chapter 1 is the conduct. Chapter 2 is how are we going to live our lives in a non-selfish way? And then he gives the answer. And the answer to that is be like Jesus, right? Be like Jesus. Now, but be like Jesus, well, what does it really mean to be like Jesus, right? So he starts off with uh, verse 1, if therefore there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any uh, fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, it's kind of like he's saying, you know this exists. And since you know that these qualities exist among you, he says, make my joy complete. And then comes that unity, right? Of being of the same mind, being United in Christ Jesus in verse, in verse 2. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And then comes the moment to take a breath and realize, he says, okay, now, Christian conduct means this. Do not or do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Do not live selfish lives. Do not, right? That's one of the things that God wants us to know, that in order to live like Christ, you can't be selfish. So do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, that each one of you regard one another as more important than himself. And so the answer to uh, a lack of selfishness is humility, right? Well, how do we know that? Well, we're going to look at Jesus. He's going to show us, right? He came and he showed us how to live a non-selfish life. He lived it in humility. Okay. So verse 3, verse 4 rather, do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. And then comes the caption to this whole thing. Have a Christ-like attitude. What does that mean? Have this attitude in yourselves, which also was in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? So I want us to think about this. Um, 
and walk through this for just a moment and then we'll, we'll move. Who, although he existed in the form of God. So what does that mean? In the form of God. In other words, Jesus was, even though while on the earth, God, and of course in the heavens, he's God, he never stopped being God. But there's this side of God that we learn that from this verse that's interesting. And, and that is uh, in, in, this, in, in verse, uh, verse 6, who although he exists in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. There's something interesting about God and this idea of not being selfish. At some point before the foundation of the world, the Bible tells us this, that God had God set up this plan to, to make man, and he knew something that we, we now know because he revealed it to us. If we make them, we're going to have to die for them. Now, it wasn't just that. If we make them, we're going to have to die a terrible physical death for them. If we make them, we're going to have to put up with them. If we make them, we're going to have to deal with their insolence. We're going to have to deal with their rebellion. And then somehow in that conversation amongst the Godhead, Father, as revealed to us, right? God, 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 or Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus stepped up and said, I'll do it. It's kind of amazing, right? He, there wasn't this argument about who's going to come down. The Holy Spirit, I'll go after you, Christ. There wasn't an argument about who was going to come down and, and die this horrible death. The Godhead said, we will do this. And the Father, who remained in heaven said, I'll have to watch it. I'll do it. So the father watched the terribleness and the wickedness of humanity. And, and the Holy Spirit came with the sacrifice after Jesus. And Jesus came down and was sacrificed for us. And there wasn't an argument in regards to equality in the heavenly. In other words, though Jesus would be made a little lower than the angels, the Bible will tell us in just a moment, that was all right. If that's what was necessary to save humanity, the people whom God loves so dearly, so be it. So what's so amazing is Matthew chapter 1, please, in verse 23 is that when, when God, as in the Old Testament, as He reveals to us who it is who's come to speak with us, again, it's so much easier when you're dealing with the Godhead to just, just you know, God, 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 right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, or God, God, God. So we don't fall into the trap of saying there's a hierarchy amongst the Godhead, because there's not. But in Matthew chapter 1, there's this understanding of who Jesus was. In verse 23, 
It says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Translated means God with us. Why do you think the Bible gives us the translation? Because God wants us to understand this is God who came and died. You see, man didn't realize that. Man didn't accept that. You're looking and staring in the face of God while Jesus Christ was on the earth. Well, the Godhead discussed this, this, if you will, making of mankind, the, the understanding of what it was necessary for us if we're going to make them, that we'll have to, we're going to have to die for them to save them. Because God said, I gave them one law, just one. And Adam and Eve couldn't keep that one law, just one, right? Hebrews chapter, uh, chapter 1. And, and I, I guess I'd have to say that, you know, because I'm not guilty of, I mean, I am guilty of sin and, and, and have not been one who kept God's law perfectly. None of us have. If it wasn't Adam and Eve, it would have been one of us. <laughs> I mean, one law. And just think about that. Just one law. And we couldn't keep one law. Just one. Kind of helps me understand the children growing up and then me as a child growing up. Just one law. Just one rule. Don't touch that. i got to touch it now. You should have never said don't touch it. Because now I want to know what it is. <laughs> Why can't I touch it? One law. Hebrews 1 verse 3. What is it not saying? What is, what is Philippians 2 not saying? It's not saying that there is a, a hierarchy, if you will, in the heavenlies. That came later in regards to Jesus Christ on the earth. Let me come back to that in a moment. Verse 3. And he, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so there's this understanding that Jesus, 1 through 3, is co-equal to the Father. And the Holy Spirit's co-equal. And so we're, we're not really talking about the Godhead necessarily this morning. We're just trying to grab that Philippians 2 to understand that, that Jesus did something, uh, if you will, for humanity. But, but so did the Father and so did the Holy Spirit. So the Godhead, and I'll try to refer to this as the Godhead from this point forward. The Godhead made the sacrifice for humanity. Right? Okay. John chapter 1, the very simple text, right? Just a, such, the, such a simple text that can never be overlooked. John 1, just to get back to the beginning, the beginning, if you will, of old, the beginning in the new, the beginning of humanity. God has no beginning, but for us, He created time. And so in the beginning, verse 1, God is here. Here it is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? So Jesus is that, is that um, the Word that is spoken of here, that He would be the living testimony, the living, if you will, uh, book that you could read regarding the Godhead. If you saw Jesus and you watched Jesus live, you are reading the very words of the Godhead, right? He was and is God. 
He was in the beginning with God. Verse 2, verse 3. All things came into being by him. And apart from Jesus, nothing came into being that has come into being. So when people wrestle with, well, wait, was Jesus created? Well, this is a very simple text that gives us a clear understanding of Genesis chapter 1 that no, Jesus is not created. He's God. He's God the Son as revealed to us, right? Revealed to us as God the Son. As the Father is revealed to us as God the Father. As the Holy Spirit is revealed to us as God the Holy Spirit. But you could also call Jesus God the Father, couldn't you? Yeah, well, Isaiah chapter 1 tells us, I mean, Isaiah chapter 9 tells us that. Let's go look at that real quickly. I hate to make a statement without putting some book to it. Isaiah 9 and verse 6. Because, because the Godhead is God, 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 manifested or revealed to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's important, right? Verse 9, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal what? Father, Prince of Peace. So, so Jesus is, is revealed to us so that we can understand what it means when the Father sacrificed his Son. And then we start asking the question, we're supposed to make it very personal. How many of you, how many of us, would sacrifice our children for evil, hostile, and wicked people? Why would you? How many of us would sacrifice our children for good and great people? I think the answer for all of us would be none of us. So we understand the amazing sacrifice that the Godhead set up or established for us, providing us a son and providing us a father and then the Holy Spirit who works in us as God's children today. Jesus was made as a human a little lower than the angels. He had to respond or um, uh, receive power from the Holy Spirit. All the power that Jesus received was by the Holy Spirit. He was made lower than the angels, right? He was made lower than the angels for just a little while, while he was human, because he had to be like us in some way. We'll come back to that part in a second. I want to go over to Hebrews chapter 2, and I want to grab verse, uh, verse 7. Hebrews 2 and verse 7. Thou hast made him, speaking of Jesus, for a little while, Lower than the angels, thou hast crowned him with glory and honor and hast appointed him over the works of thy hands. So, why did Jesus have to be made human? Because God can't die. So Jesus had to become this dual um, being, being all God and yet all man. And so the man's side of Jesus in the flesh had to be able to die. Now we know that through Scripture, this isn't the first time Jesus has come in the flesh, right? Back in the Old Testament, he came on many occasions even in the flesh. You just start with him appearing to Abraham with two other angels and walking in Genesis chapter 18. They were walking in the flesh, right? So Jesus here is in the flesh, and, but this time it's different. Because this time in this fleshly body for this 
30 or 33 so odd years that he lived upon the face of the earth, he had to rely on, um, if you will, the Godhead, rely on the Father and the Holy Spirit for his strength, even the angels that he created to minister to him. So imagine what God gave up, right? For he was not only, when he says the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Think about what he gave up, right? As, as God, that now all of a sudden he has to depend on angels and angels have free will. Think about that. That's kind of tough, right? He had to depend on, on what God made, the Father, the, the Holy Spirit, Son, what he made to aid himself as a human when he grew weak. He had to give up these things for us, right? To be in control, but at the same time, to need help to remain in control. That's powerful, right? So, so Philippians, it, Paul is trying to explain to the church, you can hold on because Nero is not God. Don't worry about that guy. You know, don't, don't worry about Nero who's in charge and, and who's out trying to execute, um, uh, you know, Christians. And don't worry about him. God has everything under control. And it didn't look like it. <laughs> it just didn't look like it. It just looked like, if, if you think about Christianity and, and with Jesus, it just didn't look like God was really in control. Because they killed and murdered and executed the king, Jesus. Well, how could they do that? Well, Satan didn't realize that was the wrong thing to do. <laughs> he goofed, right? God always has a ace in the hole, is always a step ahead. Um, we needed the sacrifice to save us as humans. From Adam to the last man that will live on the face of the earth, we needed and still do the sacrifice of God. And God knew that. Right? So what he did, Philippians 2 and uh, verse, verse 6 and 7, he did not regard equality with God, a thing to be grasped. There wasn't this argument. There wasn't this regret. There was this, this is what we're going to do. The Godhead did it. I don't, I cannot really elaborate to you how that conversation went. God doesn't reveal it to us. I don't really know that, right? Uh, other than what we're talking about here. But he emptied himself. So there's something that had to happen. And I want to talk about this for just a moment. He emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. He didn't come as a king and ruler. He came as a spiritual king, right, and ruler, taking all who would come with him. But he had to empty himself of something. And this is really important. What did he not empty himself of? That's the first part, right? I'm going to grab that. I want to go to Colossians, uh, please, chapter 1, and verse, uh, verse 19. Colossians 1, verse 19. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him. So number one, all the fullness of deity was not emptied from Jesus. So Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. Don't ask me to explain that because I can't. Right? I have no real true understanding of what that would mean, because then I would understand more about God. Colossians 2, in verse, uh, verse 9. For in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So just a little more emphasis, right, on it. Jesus, while on the earth, 
was 100% man and 100% God. What does that mean? I don't know. All I know is he was God. He continued to be God and he never ceased from being God. That's all I know. Right. This, this is just, you know, this is beyond us, uh, our understanding. Maybe someone else may say, I have a clear understanding of that. I don't. So I don't mind telling you I don't. I have no real clue and understanding of how Jesus could be 100% man and 100% God, but still empty himself. And what exactly did he empty? Right? Well, he became flesh, so obviously he had to be able to die. But what exactly did he empty? It doesn't tell us. So we don't know what that really truly means. We just know that he did whatever was necessary for all of this to happen and for us to be saved. And that's what's important, right? And there was no, again, there was no argument or dispute about who would come and live in the flesh. Now, when did Jesus actually suffer? Well, he never stopped suffering. (laughs) From the day that God made man, he's always suffered because of our sin and rebellion. When he came to the earth, he, he suffered because of our sin and rebellion. And when he went back to heaven, he suffered because of our sin and rebellion. God has never ceased from suffering because God does not tolerate sin. Well, wait a minute. He tolerates us, but he doesn't tolerate sin. What does that mean? Well, he made some laws and then he started justifying us. And you know, these guys, these people are not going to keep my law perfectly. I'm going to have to help them out. I'm going to have to reckon it unto them as righteousness. Abraham, go do this. Okay, God, I'll... I'll yeah, but then we start questioning things in our mind, don't we? And so he reckons it unto us. He, he, he makes it righteous. He, he makes it perfect. He makes it satisfying to himself. Right? It's amazing. What a, what a terrible uh, place to be in where you're asking people to love you back. And in order for you to get that love that you demand and ask for and deserve, you have to kind of help them out a little bit, right? You have to reckon it un, unto them. But that's what God does. And thank you, God, for doing that. Because I have weaknesses, right? How about you, right? need all the help I can get. Okay, Hebrews 10, verse 5. So there was a body prepared, a special body, meaning um, uh, there was a miraculous birth. And that's what makes the body special and unique. The miraculous birth of Jesus with Mary. Hebrews 10 and verse 5. The Bible says, Therefore, when he comes into the world, speaking of Jesus, Father says, Sacrifice and offerings thou hast desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me. So the Father prepared a body for Jesus, impregnating Mary. And that's where we get the miraculous birth, right? Of Jesus Christ. Who did that? Holy Spirit. Right? Holy Spirit. So again, when you're doing when we're talking about the Godhead, oftentimes it's, it's probably more times than not, it's easier to say God, 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 because we don't truly understand the interworkings of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Sometimes, especially in the Old Testament, I, I, you know, like I've, I've, I think I've told you this before, it is easier to find Jesus speaking in the Old Testament the Holy Spirit speaking in the Holy Testament, Old Testament, the Holy Spirit acting in the Old Testament, Jesus acting in the Old Testament. It's hard to find the Father acting in the Old Testament. Although he's in there, 
uh, specifically, but it's hard. And we've got that all mixed up. We keep saying, oh yeah, the Father is the God of the Old Testament. You go back and start reading the Old Testament and then start asking yourself as you read the text and it's revealed who's actually talking. And it's pretty amazing when you do that. You start putting it all together and you start, oh wait, that's Jesus. Over and over and over and over again. And then there's the Holy Spirit and then uh, there's the Father. So so it, it wasn't that all of a sudden Jesus began to act, right? The, the Godhead acted on our behalf continuously from the very beginning all the way through today. All right, so it's really important because you get to Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Um, we, we get to this exaltation. And, and like people, some have said, well, see, now, now Jesus is elevated to a, a godly position or some, of some sort or a, a higher position. Jesus never stopped being who he was. He was 100% God and 100% man. He was God in heaven and God on earth. And here's a mind blower. He was still in heaven while he was still on the earth, which is really weird. <laughs> anyway, that's another um, set of scriptures and, and study within itself to do. But this is for us, right? Because God is, is not intending, except as we grow, as we, you know, we dig deeper into this, the simplicity of this is that God wants us to know that he made a sacrifice specifically for you. You can individualize and personalize this text. And that is supposed to help and is designed to encourage and strengthen your faith that God specifically had you on his mind and on his heart when he made this decision and when he came to the earth and when he died. And when he gave up what he gave up, he gave it up for you personally. Right? Collectively, but personally, he gave it up for you. It's supposed to draw us closer to Jesus, to live for Jesus. Can I live for Jesus? Here comes Nero, right, knocking on the door. Here come the Romans knocking on the door. Will I die for Jesus? Well, I've got to look back at the text and say, well, look at what he gave up for me. Yeah. Yeah, I can do it. Right? And they did, right? And they died. They died for God. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant. Verse 7. And being made in the likeness of man. And being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. He got rid of all selfishness. Right? If there was any that existed as a human being when he came on the earth, all the selfish temptations that came his way, like us, he got rid of it through humility. Humility toward the Father. The Father. I've got to serve the Father. And so when, when the temptation to be selfish was there, he looked to the Father. He looked to the Holy Spirit. He said, well, when did he ever have, well, I think all throughout his life, you can see it in the text. But specifically, he said, I could call a legion of angels to destroy the world, right? But I'm laying my life down. See, he didn't have to die. He chose to die. He could have stopped it. He said it himself. If it weren't so, he wouldn't have said it. But he himself said, if I want to stop this, I can stop it. He said to Pilate, you're, you're not in control of anything. 
the only reason I'm even here is because of my father. Right? The only authority you have is the authority the father gives you. He could have stopped it at any moment, but he chose not to be selfish. Wow, what a big word. How do you, I mean, does that word even fit? With, you know, Jesus choosing not to die for us. Oh, Jesus, you're being selfish. What a horrible thing to think. But it's true. It's just on that level. It's on a different level, right? He chose not to be selfish, but rather to die specifically for you, for me. You know the guy that drove the nails into his wrist? He chose to die for him too. You know Pilate? He chose to die for him too. And the centurion and all the Roman soldiers and the Jews who rejected him. He chose to die for them too. And when I live a rebellious life, he chose to die for me too. I'm supposed to be able to go back to Philippians chapter 2 and get rid of self. That's what Philippians 2 is designed to do. Chapter 1, conduct. Challenges our conduct. Chapter 2, I'm supposed to be able to look at chapter 1 and say, ah, can I really do this? Can I really conduct myself in a way that God asked me to? Can I be the man that God wants me to be? And then God says, Tony, get it, step aside from your selfishness. Of course you can. Just be humble. And that's the way you're going to get there. But God, no, just be humble. So here's what happens in the end. In the end, Christian, when, when you are persecuted, when you witness the execution of your own family, just be humble. Right? And look at what God does for the humble. Look at what he did for Jesus. Verse, verse 9. Therefore, also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. That in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you have also obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Now that you got it all figured out and pieced together, work out your soul salvation with fear and trembling. Now you go out and you do it. Take a deep breath. Okay. I can, I can do it. It's not impossible. I can do it. Look at what we have. We've got this amazing, uh, if you will, number of scriptures that not only demonstrate what Christian conduct is all about, it not only gives us a view into the heavenlies, it brings our mind back to the heavenlies. It makes us focus on the heavenlies because you've got to do some work now. Right? I have to do some work. And what happens is this, this mind begins to transform from I have to do the work of Jesus to I want to do the work of Jesus to wow thank you God for allowing me to be your child to be able to do your work I mean thank you for recognizing me and knowing me it transforms the mind to be to be different right and satisfied in our Christian walk of faith 
wherever it is we are. And then he says in verse 13, as a way of encouragement, for it is God, this one always shame me, this scripture, who is at work in you both uh, to will and to work for his good pleasure. Remember when I first read that scripture, and I remember saying, oh, you know, I'm really trying to make these changes. And I'm really trying to do this for God. and Keep working at it. i got to keep working at it. And then I read the next verse, and God says, you do realize I'm doing most of the work, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, right? <laughs> it's kind of a, it's a really humbling scripture. If God is working in you to help you to get there, then how much work am I doing? Well, I always think like, you know, we, sometimes people say, well, you know, God just left us out there by ourselves. No, he didn't. He's in you doing the work, right? You just have to show up for the battle. So just be willing to show up. God, okay, use me. And then when God uses you, it's amazing. It's like, do you think that in my life, I remember the first time they asked me to, to go up and lead. Let me just tell you, this is really funny. To lead a prayer. And I knew it was going to happen. They were going to ask me to church. They going to ask me to lead a prayer. And I do not, I am not a public speaker. Still not. But anyway, I do not want to go up there and lead a prayer. But there's no way out. Because they're going to look at you. They're going to ask you to lead a prayer or to help with communion or something, right? And so I, I looked for every way out. Right? I didn't want to go up to the front of the congregation and be, you know, any, I, no way, I'm not, okay. So here's what the preacher would do. The preacher would come to Bible study on time. And then, you know, that 15-minute break we have in between, that bell's going to ring shortly. And then you, and, okay, and then I would go out to my vehicle and I would leave the parking lot. <laughs> and then I would come back. And then right when worship was going to begin, then I would walk in the doors. Because then they already had all their people, right? <laughs> Isn't that a great plan? Think about that, right? <laughs> they had everyone chosen for the worship, so I got to sit there and enjoy worship. Until one day they realized what I was doing. <laughs> and so I, I, I left, um, and I came back, and I walked into the building. And this is after I've been doing this for maybe about two months or a month, maybe. Came back into the building, and then there's a brother standing at the door, and he says, Oh, brother, we knew you'd be here because you're always here. We knew we could count on you. Hey, we left a slot for you. You have the... And, then, and I was like, what? ha! <laughs> like, but that was the beginning. That was the beginning of my fear, right, being, being uh, challenged. Um, what a blessing it was. But those brethren, uh, I still love them. But I want to talk to them about that. <laughs> what a blessing. That's when I had to understand, as they would say, brother, it's not you. You've got to give it to God. God's going to work in you. So I didn't understand that, right? That God will work in me. See, I was looking at myself and I was saying, I have to go and do this. Well, I don't know what to say. I don't know. If you don't know what to say to God yet, you better learn. Well, how am I going to learn? Learn God. When you learn God, you know how to talk to God. It's like when you don't know people, you have a hard time talking to them. But if you, it's like when you, you know, when you're praying, if you don't, you don't know God, it'd be hard to talk to God. But if you know God, it's easy to talk to God because you know God, right? You come to God in humility and uh, what, what an amazing thing. So anyway, um, so the scripture says, okay, God is working in you to do his work. So let, let's put off, put aside and walk away from the things that really get to us, you know, the things that make us grumble. Let's not be grumblers. Let's remember this great opportunity we have in Jesus. Um, verse, uh, where are we? Verse uh, 14. Do all things without grumbling uh, or disputing that you may prove yourself to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach. And look at where we are. In the midst of a crooked and perverse 
generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. So if you look back at your life, here's some more encouragement, right? You look back at your life and you remember, oh, wait a minute, I was a part of this wicked and cruel world standing opposed to God. And then God, wow, God accepted me? That's pretty impressive, right? God brought me in to the fold. I'm so excited about that, right? And he's working in me to do his work and do his will. And all I have to do is just stand up, right? Holding fast, right? You just have to, you just have to, and then you hold on to him, right? You stand up and just like a young son holding his father's hand, pretty powerful then. Well, you got daddy's hand, you're okay, right? That's all you have to do is just hold on to Jesus. Just hold on to God. Uh, Verse uh, 16, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ, the day of Christ, I may have caused the glory because I did not run or have not run in vain. I did not toil in vain. In other words, nothing you're doing for Jesus is in vain. Everything's recognized by God. Everything's blessed and rewarded by God. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering, now he's talking about his death, right, in execution. Even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon sacrifice, upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all, and you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. And then he gives you two examples, Timothy and um, Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus almost died for the sake of Christ, right? Trying to get the message to... So imagine that, thinking about... Think you're carrying this letter to the congregation at Philippi. And the Romans are always looking for Christians. And you have this letter. It's almost like smuggling, right? You're, you're carrying an illegal letter because Christianity was an illegal religion because you're not allowed by the Roman army or the Roman government to proselyte. You can't convert one from one religion to another. So idolatry must remain the same. Well, here you're carrying this letter that says, stay away from idolatry, right? Or, or God is king. Caesar's not king. God is king. And Epaphroditus almost died. He, had, he was sick. And, and these men that were couriers or carrying these letters, Timothy's with Paul right now in the writing of this letter, and, and they're, they're, they're doing God's work and they're continuing in God's love. And so then he says, I need to give you one more thing. You have to have a goal, right? Your job is to carry the letter. Your goal is to get it there, right? You trust in God. You rely on God. And you know God's going to help you to get it there. And if it's God's will that it not get there, your goal is to try to get that letter there. Maybe you pass it on to someone else as the Romans take you away. Whatever you have to do, make sure your golden life is a spiritual one. You have to have spiritual goals. We have physical goals. We work hard in moving toward them. What about our spiritual goals in life? How many of us have set spiritual goals in life? And then what an amazing blessing to be able to achieve them with God working in us, right, to do His will. So chapter 3 gets, goes into this amazing uh, uh, strength, if you will, that, that Paul says you've got to learn how to do something. Chapter 3 is this. You've got to learn how to forgive yourself. You know, if you're going to live for Jesus, you've got you to learn how to forgive yourself. I mean, if Paul didn't know how to forgive himself or hadn't understood 
uh, through the teaching of, of the Holy Spirit to forgive himself. You know, what a, what, a, what a terrible life to live. You know, he goes to a congregation and he goes in there and says, I'm, I'm the Apostle Paul. I come to serve you and help you. And he looks out in the audience and he sees some of the men and the women that he persecuted. Uh, can't say sorry enough for what I've done. Eventually you have to move on. Eventually you're going to have to just, you got to move on, right? So imagine how difficult it was for Paul in his ministry when he had to stand before that mother of that son that he sent off and turned in. In Acts chapter 8, you know, when he was going against the church, he thought they were doing something wrong. So he kind of summarizes your spiritual goal in chapter 3. He says, finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing again to you is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. So that's exciting. Now you got to go back in chapter 1 and read it again. Paul says, I'll write the same message to you over and over and over and over again. Not a problem at all, because all of this is believable and trustworthy. Right? I'll write it again, I'll write it again, I'll write it again. So that's encouragement to read it again and read it again and just keep reading it, right? Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. He's talking about the Jews, right? Uh, even the Romans as well, but specifically the Jews who are coming in and trying to destroy uh, the work of God. Look at what the Jews are saying. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory of Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. He goes into some, some information about being circumcised and being a Jew, a Jew's Jew, right? Because the Jews were saying, okay, even though you got baptized into Christ, what the Bible tells us, right? You're baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you're made a Christian. But the Jews came along and said, well, yeah, you have to get baptized, but we Jewish Christians are far superior to just a Gentile Christian because, well, we're circumcised in the flesh and you are not. We're part of God's old covenant. And Paul says, oh, no, circumcision is of the heart in Christ, not of the flesh. Everything in the Old Testament, remember, is physical. You got to move it to the spiritual, right? Okay, so he says, look, you want to talk about being a Jew? Wait a minute, I'm a Jew, and I've never told you you had to be circumcised. I'm a man of God. I'm an, an apostle of Christ. I was circumcised, he says in verse 5, the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. All right. It's a lot. It's a lot. Right? Everything in this world that you've gained is nothing. What? You know how hard I work for this? Yeah, but you're going to die. And you're going to leave it all here. It's nothing. What's important is your soul. I count it all rubbish. One more verse, and then we're going to leave and come back and finish up three and four. And maybe, verse nine, it may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, the law of Moses, but that which is through faith in Christ 
the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. And what was important? Spiritual goal. Verse 10, that I might know Him. That's what's important, to know God. That is the goal of life, to know God. To know God. And the only way you're going to get to know Him is you're going to have to read and read and read and pray and read and pray and read. Pray some more. Keep reading. And read and read and pray. And keep the rest of your life. Right? And you kind of Bible study, kind of worship. You hear, oh, that's a different perspective. I hadn't thought about that. You keep reading and keep reading and keep reading. You know, we've, we've read books all our lives. We've read books. All of us, we've read novels. We've read books, especially for our education. We've read books. For years and years and years and years, we've read books. This, this is the one that, that really matters, right? This is it. So I leave you with this question. What are your spiritual goals of life? That's yours. So thank you for your time. We'll, uh, we'll be dismissed and we'll come back three and four, Lord willing, next week. Do appreciate it.